You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Sabah al Good morning, dear listeners. You're listening to Radio 3CR on 855am and Palestine Remembered with Robert Martin, Nasser Mashni and Yusuf Ahmed Rimawi. Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Palestine Remembered. As always, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate your support. And a reminder, tomorrow at 12 o'clock, State Library, all eyes on Rafah. So please come out. The weather's going to be a little bit cooler. Get your friends, get your family Palestine's never needed you more, so we really need you to make a real effort to make sure you get along tomorrow. The route will be from the State Library down to Flinders Street. There'll be a sit-in there, a performance and one speech, and that'll be the end of the rally. So 12 o'clock, State Library, a march down to Flinders Street and a sit-in. So please do all you can to get anyone else you can get there. During the week, we saw our Prime Minister finally come forward. He was joined by uh, Prime Minister Trudeau and the new Prime Minister of Aotearoa, Christopher Luxton, and they finally came out who were far, far firmer in their language, still, still a long way from what Palestine needs. I was asked during, to, during the week what I thought of the statement. I said, it's a fantastic statement for October 15. It's not a fantastic statement for five months later. We're three weeks in now since the ICJ ruling where Israel was given notice as to the need for it to um, start talking uh, and show calls back to the ICJ on measures that it was taking um, to prevent that plausible, quote-unquote, genocide from occurring. So we look forward to Israel's presentation next week after the four-week period to see how boxing in everyone into Rafah, demanding they find somewhere to go. Meanwhile, the United States continues to arm this brutal, brutal racist regime. In the meantime, the UK has decided to ban these extreme settlers that have been part of settlement violence in the occupied West Bank and East Jerusalem. We're still waiting for that sort of action to come out of Australia. There have been some pretty good speeches. Um, Andrew Charlton, uh, uh, Julian Hill, Josh Wilson out of Fremantle. Some good speeches in Parliament. Again, uh, towards that level four, level five stage, we should commend uh, Julian Hill, who's broke with uh, government ranks and said... In fact, there are a number of actions that we should be undertaking. They include expediting the recognition of the state of Palestine, which should have happened 76 years ago. 
before we recognize the state of Israel, before Israel, uh, Palestine was partitioned into an Arab and Jewish state, there should have just been one state for all its citizens. But the expedi uh, expediting of the recognition of Palestine, he spoke about the current exemption, the double taxation exemption that's there for Australians who live in settlements. So what does that mean if you're an Australian living in an illegal settlement in the occupied West Bank, East Palestine, what's supposed to be Palestine under a two-state solution? If you live there and the marginal tax rate you're paying to the state of Israel is, let's say, 30 cents in a dollar, and you're an Australian and for tax purposes you need to pay tax in Australia, well, the fact that you've paid 30 cents there and the taxation rate here might be 40 cents, well, it means you only have to pay 10 cents here because you've already paid 30 cents in tax. So that double taxation exemption should not exist, should not exist for a settlement uh, person, for an Australian living in an illegal settlement. As far as I'm concerned, it shouldn't exist at all if you live in anywhere in Israel because it's um, you should not be afforded that luxury whilst Israel is running an apartheid regime and oppressing Palestinians. But I understand the case from an Australian political, uh, Australian legal perspective as to why, um, if you're living within the borders of 48, why that double taxation shouldn't apply. But today, if you're an illegal illegal settler living in the West Bank, you in fact uh, get that benefit of the tax that you've paid in Israel and paying here. So Julian Hill, to his credit, said that the double taxation exemption should be removed that we should expedite the recognition of Palestine, we should remove the double taxation exemption. He also called for the banning of these extreme settlers. The United States has banned them, and the UK has banned them. Australia still hasn't. I mean, it's outrageous that uh, the United States is ahead of us on a policy on Israel. Um, he also called for the identification of and the stripping of DGR status, that's taxation um, tax deductibility status of Australian-based charities that are collecting money and funding Israeli settlements. So there are, according to uh, my reading of what he's saying, I mean, I don't imagine he'd say it unless there were complicit Australian charities that are getting tax-deductible status and Australians are making tax-deductible donations to charities that are funding slash participating in the settlement enterprise in occupied Palestine. So these are four very tangible outcomes that the Labor Party could do very quickly within its remit, exist within uh, its policy, etc., as well as the immediate reinstatement of funding to UNRWA, obviously. They are far, far from what Australia should do as an honourable global citizen. They are far, far from what it should do in the terms of justice and righteousness. They are far, far, far from what they should do as a condition of equal humanity and justice for all. But they would be a start. So Labour Party members, politicians uh, that might be hearing this podcast, we'd suggest to you it is a very good start and would be a constructive way to re-engage with our community and speak to our community uh, uh, about addressing the lack of social cohesion and the destruction 
of the social cohesion since premier means decided in all of his pontificating magnificence to light up Sydney's Opera House in the colours of the Israeli flag, whilst flanked by his commissioner of police and telling Australian Jews they should stay at home because they couldn't guarantee their safety, feeding into the nastiest Islamophobic stereotype that Palestinian Australians, Palestinian Australian Muslims, the Muslim community are a rabid, bloodthirsty mob baying for Jewish blood an outrageous and disgusting slur on our community. And for the past 135 days, we've not been able to overcome the challenge and that breakdown in the social cohesion that has really impacted our community. In other ICJ news, um, very, very good news. Aside from South Africa's case, there's an unprecedented number of countries that are participating in an oral hearing session on the on Israel's occupation. And that begins in a week from now on, on the 20th out date um, of February. Uh, Human Rights Watch and a number of other NGOs, as well as 52 countries, will be participating in these um, oral proceedings. That's more than any other case since the inception of the uh, International Court of Justice in 1946. And this um, broad participation is part of a growing global momentum to address the long, long failure of the international community to do the right thing and bring justice to the Palestinian people and to ensure that apartheid Israel abides by international law. So there'll be more on that in the weeks ahead, but we're very hopeful that um, the world might take some some real action because these legal opinions, these legal um, representations will create law in the highest court of the land and it will start demanding action. As we know, Australia is a signatory to the Genocide Convention and it has an obligation to do everything it can within its power to prevent a genocide against the Palestinian people by Israel. The fact that um, to date Australia hasn't joined as a signatory to South Africa's case is a shame and there's nothing stopping Australia from doing that. The reality that those um, uh, judgments or outcomes that were delivered three weeks ago now, in, an, in another week from now we'll have uh, more solid legal foundations and Australia will be bound to them. I had a meeting during the week with some politicians and I said, look, Plausible genocide is the ICJ saying genocide. and But the reality, as we know, the legal process and the legal mechanism takes years. But in five or six or seven or eight years from now, the court will rule that a genocide did occur. And the reality is we're keeping receipts. We're going to go back and see what you said and when you said it and how culpable you'll be. Now, we know that Tony Blair and John Howard were participants in an illegal war in the invasion of Iraq and they are both war criminals and their legacies are stained with the death of over a million innocents in Iraq and the destruction of a country, all in the name of some crazy, mixed-up, messianic 
um, a right-wing agenda coming out of the United States, uh, etc. Um, and we will look back at this time and history will judge cruelly our Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, our Foreign Minister Penny Wong, our um, Attorney General Mark Dreyfus, our Defence Minister Richard Miles, if they don't do what's right and call it for what it is and do everything within their power to prevent the genocide against the Palestinian people. Stay tuned, we'll be talking to Farah very soon for Teachers of Palestine, but next up, a song. That's 20,000 martyrs in just 15 days Thousands more maimed Millions of kids homeless The fuck they gonna stay? No more time to wait No more life to waste Humanity on the line Philistine cry Cause it to be saved Lost another minute by Means another child's died Had a mystified Confused about a ceasefire Leaders' pockets are tight So leaders always lie We see what they hide Now the masses grow tired yeah, we've seen that they manufacture facts with AI Facts became lies And whoever owned the media decide what's right Whoever got the money can decide who's right Who's wrong, who's right Ain't nobody safe if they profit from disaster Victory will be the children's laughter 48 days, 49 nights 8,000 babies in paradise Bellies all full, they finally feel nice They've sorry for tomorrow, cause today we freedom fight Freedom ain't a God-given right Resistance is justified, occupies cry Will then commit genocide don't even know our story 1948 tense over the gory Attrition, forced eviction, forced to victim My people refuse to become fiction Ain't scared if they own a whole fucking system Boycotted their business, made it a mission Now all their stocks are meeting, huh? I guess they forgot who really buys a board of business, huh? Real power is people power And power cowards are people empowered Still cowards keep power, still cowards devour the flowers Mass graves in the thousands I heard the cries that caught up in the mountains Heard that down as past Pat With black and brown kids covered in white powder Yet the colonizers showered and prayed Proud of all the profit they made from pain Ya Allah, all the shame, all the shame Bringing the age, rain and rage Full sides we show and praise Supporting the wrong prophet Learn life essential when we listen to the plight Of a poor man's pocket in the poor man of today Happen to be called Muhammad Free Palestine, free Congo, free Sudan. 
solidarity with Palestine this Sunday. With the most devastating attack ever launched on the people of Gaza, it's time for all of us to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people. Israel has waged war on the Palestinians for the last 75 years. The Nakba, ethnic cleansing, occupation of the West Bank, East Jerusalem and Gaza. Israel has now imposed a total blockade on Gaza and declared war, stopping food, electricity and fuel and launching an all-out attack. We have to mobilise to show our support for Palestine. 12pm, State Library, this Sunday. Rally to demand freedom and justice for Palestine. No war on Gaza. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. Here to stay. Good morning, Farah. How are you doing? Good morning, Nasser. I'm good, thanks. How are you? Really well, really well. Uh, listeners, we're joined by Farah, who works in education um, and is a part of Teachers for Palestine. Farah, thanks so much for joining us. You work as a teacher in humanities and global politics. And when your students started asking about what was happening in Palestine, Israel, Gaza, how did the conversation manifest from there? Yeah, um, so I think so the first week, obviously, when things were still like kind of starting off, it was kind of there wasn't really like any pressure from the department yet that was like, don't talk about this, don't do anything. It was kind of just like, okay, so I kind of just went with my judgment. When it was a relevant question, I'd answer it. When it wasn't, I'd try to refocus. But kind of as the conflict continued and as it kind of became more and more distressing and more unavoidable and very much one-sided, I kind of just felt really morally, I guess, conflicted to just say, oh, like, let's move on from this. Because I was like, well, why are we wanting to move on from something that's clearly relevant to what we're learning? We, like, I taught a class called Conflict and Crisis. It was like, this is literally our syllabus. It's our curriculum. Um, And I think it was the way I tried to approach it was students would ask like oh whose side are you on and I was like let's reframe this let's think about how can we look at this conflict in a way where we're considering empathy maybe facts as in history as well um in some of my classes more some students were more aware because of their own backgrounds and it was kind of good to be able to use that um yeah there was quite a lot that went it kind of differed as well depending on the class and the context and what kind of question but for the most part, I tried to encourage my students to think critically and just to let them know that I was there if they wanted to talk about it as well um, outside so, of so, us. Yeah, so it was, it was an organic thing. Uh, one of the criticisms, obviously, from the mainstream media and, uh, you know, the shock yeah. jocks and uh, the politicians is that it wasn't organic. It wasn't students showing a concern and, and raising a question in a, in a conflict uh, unit a, at school but rather that there was an agenda by teachers and educators uh, to indoctrinate, if you will. But then the principals and the education department came down on everybody like a ton of bricks. Um, what, why do you think that happened? I think there's a couple of reasons for this. I think a big part of it is that I think the department honestly probably feels a bit of shame and is probably feeling a bit conflicted, in my opinion. Um I think they're also facing a lot of pressure from Zionist organizations. Um, and I guess at the end of the day, they're also, the Department of Education is a government department and it's a, like it's very heavily aligned with the current labor, labor government, um, who obviously 
are wanting to strengthen their relationships with the US and Israel. And we also know that, and I don't know if other people know this, but Ben Carroll, the current education minister for Victoria, was under a different portfolio last year, and he actually went to Israel to strengthen defense ties. So there's, the department is in itself already very much linked in this, and they're kind of wanting to maintain, oh, we're neutral. Um, and so activists kind of challenge that, and they put a lot of fear in that and also making more public their complicity as well. Because, I mean, part of this is challenging that hegemonic education system. and But surely the responsibility of the educator is to empower children to see the difference between fake news and real news and to challenge uh, existing paradigms. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when we don't do that, we're really setting students up to kind of fail in a world like in the future. Like we focus so much on, you know, students need to be global citizens and have to have this critical thinking and empathy. But then schools and school policies are really trying to do everything to not let that happen. Um, I think it's really actually like the idea of us being teachers is we want to empower students. But shutting down these conversations because it's too complex is actually really disempowering. It's saying, you don't know enough about this. You won't know enough. We don't need to talk about it. And it really just serves to create a greater rift in these power dynamics, especially if we're talking about schools with lots of multicultural students, with Palestinian students, like that was the, the demographic of the school I was at, is why am I disempowering these students who have these experiences and these feelings and just... The rift in that is, yeah, I think really it's it's quite upsetting the way that they've it's been approached. So teachers took a whole lot of action. There was a week of action. There were vigils. There were rallies. And the government, you know, part of the apparatus of the state, you know, really clamped down. Did that dampen teachers' uh, enthusiasm for speaking out? Honestly, for me, it made it even like I wanted to speak out even more because like I think nobody wants to be silenced. Nobody wants to have their voice kind of crushed. Obviously, it did instill a bit of fear in some people, right, because it is terrifying to like the prospect of losing your job or being sent home. It's also humiliating, right? Like it's not something you want to have done to you. But I think what it shows is that the activism is actually working and that the department is actually scared. If it wasn't scared, it wouldn't be trying to shut us down. And I think that really created a bit more solidarity, especially in union power and that idea of like power in numbers as well. Mm. So I, I understand that Teachers of Palestine are organising a campaign to put union bans on some school-sponsored mm -hmm. uh, programs that have been sponsored by weapons manufacturing companies, you know, of which there are 35. Um, what are these weapons-sponsored programs? I mean, it must be, be shocking to listeners. I'm shocked, you know. Yeah. Well, I was, yeah, I was shocked as well. Like, I think a lot of people, like, not just teachers, the public, I, I can't even imagine parents knowing that, you know, STEM programs are funded by weapons companies. But um, what we've kind of discovered is that a lot of school um, STEM programs are sponsored by weapons companies like Lockheed Martin, um, BAE Systems, RTX, Northrop Grumman, and Boeing. There's a full list um, on Teachers for Peace. So they have their own website. They started in 2022 and have kind of been focusing on this work. So I definitely recommend any of the listeners to have a look at that. Um, the reason why this is so shocking is it's because it's actually a breach of the teaching and learning resources policy. You're not allowed to associate with weapons or guns at all, like as a school. Um, and that links into this as well, because a lot of these weapons companies are not just heavily aiding this genocide, but in fact, Israel relies on them to commit 
genocide, especially if we think about like Lockheed Martin, that's a huge weapons manufacturer, right? Um, In the last AEU, so the Australian Education Union magazine, um, they actually published a piece saying they condemn the militarization of curriculum. So this is a really good step forward and it's a good acknowledgement because lots of union members would be reading it thinking like, I had no idea this was what was happening. I mean, it, it, you know, my three kids are almost all through the secondary school system. I'm just you know, shocked and I'm, you know, yeah. erudite and supposed to know this stuff. But yeah. I, I'm really heartened by the, the fact that, you know, there's a set of crew that is working on developing a curriculum that is not so heavily pro-Israel um, to teach to teach our kids to think critically and, uh, you know, a, a better model curriculum. What kinds of things are being considered for that? So when we had our forum recently, we discussed a variety of options of curriculum and lots of teachers are working on their own resources. I think a big part of this is that curriculum will look different for primary, for secondary, depending on the class. I think the core focus of this is kind of looking at the curriculum, what already exists, obviously, we don't work within the curriculum system. We can't actually change it. But there's a lot of points, like, for example, there's a whole point on rights and freedoms in the humanities, year nine and 10 curriculum. That is a very easy entry option. Um, we also look at things like World War One and World War Two, but always the focus is on Europe or Australia. But it's like, well, those are world wars. They were happening, el- happening elsewhere. They're impacting elsewhere. World War One and World War Two have a huge impact on why Palestine looks the way it does today, right? That's something we can definitely be looking into. Um, even something like the way we look at the Holocaust, um, framing it as, uh, I think sometimes it's framed as, and then Israel was created and that was the solution. That's really problematic. So looking at that in a different way. I think the other thing is also, there's a major focus when we were looking at um, department resources there's a lot of resources on anti-Semitism, nothing on Islamophobia, for example. So creating resources around um, racial prejudice as well as like the historical and current context. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of quite broad. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, of course. And I think, you know, while we've got those resources for anti-Semitism, we need to start speaking about anti-Palestinian races. Yeah, I mean, the reality is you're not Palestinian for yeah. And you've, you know, suffered as have your colleagues who have, you know, come out and organised and spoken out about, you know, number one, robbing children of agency, that they are asking questions. Yeah. Uh, number two, saying, you know, the government's not speaking out. As a human being, I want to speak out. I want my union to speak out. Number three, we can't be teaching our kids this way and not giving them the chance to think critically because yeah. surely that's the best way for a better world if our kids are doing that. Um, so we, we really need to be doing some work around anti-Palestinian racism, but that's for another show. Um, Farah, congratulations on what you're doing. And uh, with everything that you've faced and and, and gone through, um, would you still encourage other workers and other teachers to, to keep speaking up and out? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, it's terrifying. I can understand that. I mean, like, I was tossing up a lot of things when I started doing this and, like, all the, I guess, risk factors. But I think at the end of the day, it's like, our purpose and our role as humans as well as educators, whatever like work we're in, I think it's like, I, I don't know how we can stand by and watch something so cruel and horrible unfolding and do nothing about it. I think that's like, yeah. It's our role as global citizens to care about everyone. Now, Farah, yeah. just a final question. How can people get involved and support your activism? And if they're a teacher out there listening and they want to get in, uh, involved in Teachers for Palestine, how can they find it? 
Yeah, definitely. So there's a couple of things. So the first is you can obviously reach out to us by our Instagram, which is teachers for like the number four Palestine Vic, um, or just email us, which is also at that. Um, it, you can access it through the Instagram. The other two big things that I did want to mention is that there's obviously a contingent every um, Sunday at the Sunday rallies. So all school staff are welcome to attend that. Um, even like pre-service teachers can attend that as well. Um, our next major action will be on the 3rd of March, and it links into what we were talking about in Austin, which is um, STEM and uh, weapons. So it'll be a big teach-in. Um, it'll focus on bringing Palestine into the classroom, um, as well as that ban on weapons and trying to push it more, particularly as union members. Thanks so much for joining us, Farah. It's been a real pleasure having you on. And for those details, Teachers for Palestine, you can find them on Instagram. And if you're a teacher interested, you know, can email them from there. So thanks so very much for that. Because the Palestinian fight isn't just the Palestinians' fight, it's all our fight, because it's a fight not just about land, it's about a fight for freedom. Everybody should be standing here today saying, free Palestine. Solidarity with our Palestinian brothers and sisters on behalf of the Bumbanja nation, my people, who've never ceded their sovereignty. We should be recognising Palestine as a state and recognising the rights of Palestinians. 3CR. Stay tuned, stay radical. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.